Well, good morning. Um, my, my title for the sermon this morning is called The Gospel for All. Um, in our home, we have a couple of uh, phrases that we like to use all the time. Uh, and, and over time, they just become Thompson-isms. Uh, they just become of who we are. And so we say things like, people are more important than rectangles. Uh, so that's the very one that we use all the time to say, let's not just focus on iPads or TVs or whatnot, let's focus on each other. Uh, another one that we say all the time is things like, Team Thompson, you know, <laughs> Team Thompson, we're, we're all in it together, we're, we're, we're fighting for family. Um, another one is a fun one, it's a play on an old TV show uh, slogan from, do you, you ever watch the TV show Transformers? Does anyone know the slogan on that one? Transformers? More than meets the eye. There we go. More robots in disguise. Both work. Both are said, I think. For my point, more than meets the eye. Uh, and so one of the things we've done at, at, at our family is we go, Thompson's, more than meets the eye. Which kind of has a negative connotation to it. Because <laughs> with the Transformers, they're robots. They're cars that turn into a robot, um, and for Thompsons, we're just not as bad as we look. Uh, we're more than beats the eye, like, don't give up on us yet. Uh, uh, but we have these slogans that just kind of sometimes represent us, that just become who we are. Um, and there are certain phrases and slogans uh, that have become, like, mythical status uh, that you have probably heard and you said, that's probably in the Bible. Um, so, so phrases like this that, that sound like they're in the Bible, but are not in the Bible. Look, we just want to educate you real quick on this. So things like, God helps those who help themselves. Actually not in the Bible. Surprisingly, do you really want that to be true? But I know, that's not in the Bible. Here's another one. Um, with great power comes great responsibility. Amen. That's actually Spider-Man. <laughs> Though, you could see Jesus saying that. Uh, here's another one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Uh, but that's actually from Second Hesitations 4.3, which is also a book not in the Bible. And so we just want you to hear these things, that these things are actually not in the Bible. And I think today what I want you to see, and I think what God wants to see, is that the gospel, who the gospel is and isn't for, that the, thing, the people we think the gospel is for, and as Malcolm alluded to, uh, those pe that, that, that way of thinking is actually not in the Bible. And so I want us to get ready for a gospel that's truly for all. And so I want us to look at, at Acts 10. We're going to look at, begin at verse 9, and we're going to be looking at a couple of selected sections in there. And so please stand for God's word. We're going to look at Acts 10, uh, begin at verse 9, and we're going to actually read this in Spanish. Uh, so we'll have the translation up there on the screen for you. Please come forward. Um, you still have that microphone, Malcolm? Oh, yeah. Como también reptiles y aves. 
Levántate, Pedro. Mata y come, te dijo una voz. De ninguna manera, señor, replicó Pedro. Jamás he comido nada impuro o inmundo. Por segunda vez le insistió la voz. Lo que Dios ha purificado, tú no lo llames impuro. Esto sucedió tres veces y enseguida la sábana fue recogida del cielo. Un día después llegó a Cesarea. Cornelio estaba esperándolo con los parientes y amigos íntimos que había reunido. Al llegar Pedro a la casa, Cornelio salió a recibirlo y mostrándose delante de él le rindió homenaje. Pero Pedro hizo que se levantara y le dijo, Ponte de pie, que solo soy un hombre como tú. Pedro entró a la casa conversando con él y encontró a muchos reunidos. Entonces les habló así, Ustedes saben muy bien que nuestra ley prohíbe que un judío se junte con un extranjero o lo visite. Pero Dios me ha hecho ver que a nadie debo llamar impuro o inmundo. Pedro tomó la palabra y dijo, Ahora comprendo que en realidad para Dios no hay favoritismos, sino que en toda nación... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've got to select that up early. <laughs> This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. All right, you may be uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that we get to hear it in different languages, Lord, that we do get uh, exposed to uh, the different uh, textures and ways that it is, is written and translated. And so, Lord, we do thank you for that. But, Lord, we ask that. This word would not just be something that we read, but, Lord, that the word reads us. And so, Lord, would your word reveal something to us this morning that we desperately need to see. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today's passage is actually a, a super long passage. Uh, it, we, we were looking at chapter 10 all the way, if you look in your Bibles, it's a long chapter through uh, 11:18. And that long, long passage is actually one story. And it's one story, and it's actually a very short story, but it's, it's pre-told, then they tell the story, and then they, they, they retell the story. And so there's, there, it's, a, it's a very long passage about a couple small, small little events that, that, that happen there, but very important events. And so what happens in Scripture a lot of times is when God repeats certain things over and over and over, that's their way of saying, this is important, pay attention. And so I'm going to say it over and over and over again. I'm going to spill this much ink so that we need to pay attention. So Dr. Luke, the physician, the author of the book of Acts, wants us to see that the gospel is for all people. And particularly, the gospel is for, we'll do air quotes, good people. That the gospel is for every nation. And the gospel is for you. Uh, so first, let's look at the, the gospel is for good people. And so I think a problem with our, our passage that we had maybe last week is that we looked at a passage that, that described the man, Saul, who was breathing murderous threats, right? Uh, and in many ways, uh, he, he feels like a supervillain, right? And so and when that happens, even though he was, you know, a Hebrew of Hebrews and probably more righteous than anyone in here, uh, but he was also murdering Christians, but what happens is when we, when we read passages about these supervillains, and that God saves them, it's hard for sometimes for us to relate, because we, we look at that and we go, well, good. I'm glad God saved that evil person. Uh, it, it, you might be tempted to say, well, I've never really murdered a Christian. Well, I've never really murdered anyone, per se. Um, and so that I'm good. I'm, I'm generally a good person based off that standard. <laughs> Not murdering's okay. Uh, and so I think that goodness, though, that goodness that you may see yourself as, that good person, is actually going to be the death of you. 
And so in today's, in today's text, the gospel comes to Cornelius, um, who is a man um, who, who is described uh, as a centurion, which means that he was a commander in the Roman army. And so he was, he was in charge of a hundred men. And a centurion was, 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 was a leader. A centurion was well-educated. In verse 2, it says he was a devout man who feared God. And to be considered a God-fearer meant that you, you, you converted to Judaism, um, but you weren't a part of the Jewish nation. You weren't part of, of, that, uh, of that, that tribe. Uh, but you converted to what they believe. And so you start observing all of what they do except for certain things like circumcision and observing some of the food laws. But, they, but he believed. He was well-respected. And it says that he gave alms generously. He cared for people. He gave his money away. And lastly, it says he prayed continually. And you look at this and you think, he's, a, he's, a, he's one of the good ones. We're, we're, we like him. But doesn't everyone like a guy like this who just is outwardly focused all the time looking for other people's needs, not his own? And, and, and he's selfless. He's giving his money away. He's praying all the time. He sounds more religious than some of us do. And there's a funny TV show that's on right now that just has the worst theology. Um, and so I highly encourage you to not watch it, but maybe watch it. Uh, and so it's a, it's a TV show called The Good Place uh, that Krista and I started watching, binge-watched, and finished. <laughs> um, it's about this, these people who die, and they wake up, what they think, is in heaven. And they're told, relax, you made it. That would feel good, right? You're like, Ooh. I was wondering. And they're like, relax, you're one of the good ones. And you're like, oh, I sure am. And they're like, your, your good deeds far outweigh your bad deeds. Like, you're, you really cared for people. And you're like, I sure did. I sure did. And, and whether you actually believe this theology or not, I think functionally we all believe that theology. We all believe that the, the, the Santa uh, illustration earlier, that if we're good enough, we might get some presents at the end. And so, why is it a horrid theology? Well, one, how good are you? I think all of us know deep down that's not true. But two, comparatively to Cornelius, who's described here, how would, that, how would that description be written of you? I mean, the gospel had to reach Cornelius, who was a good man. Who had, I mean, God was saying, I'm going to do all this background work to reach Cornelius. I'm going to get a vision to Cornelius to meet Peter. I'm going to get a vision to Peter to meet Cornelius. I'm going to get them together. And then when, when Cornelius hears about this, he invites everyone he can think of. He invites his friends, his family, all to hear Peter. And Peter preaches this sermon, and they all become believers. They all come to the faith. And then Peter then goes and tells the whole story to the church. And then the church says, why did you do such a thing? And he retells the whole story again. Why is God doing all of this for Cornelius, for this good man? Because God's desire is not that you are good, it's that you're perfect. I mean, that, that is written all throughout Scripture, that Jesus says it multiple times, that until your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so salvation means that you have to be linked to something more than just getting better. It means you have to be linked to the perfect one by faith. 
That you, his righteousness, actually what the word comes is, is imputed or inserted into you so that his righteousness becomes your righteousness. And it takes over your life and the Holy Spirit infuses this in you. And so holding the door for people is not going to get you into heaven. Giving your money away, as Cornelius was doing, is not going to hold off the wrath of God. Because you don't just need to be cleaned up, you need to be made new. I mean, this is what happens to Nicodemus when, when Jesus says, you have to be born again. And they're like, I don't understand how you can be born again. He said, you have to be made new. You have to start over. Tim Keller says, conversion is not a call to Christian morality, but a challenge to it. I think we think of to become a Christian, you have to then clean up. And Tim Keller says, a conversion is not a call to, to be cleaned up. It's actually a challenge to it. Your good works don't earn you a spot in heaven. If you rely on those works, that will assure you that you don't have a spot in heaven. If you say, here's why I should get in, Lord, X, Y, and Z, he'll say, this is why you should not get in. Because if the gospel is true and that we are saved by grace alone and not by works, then the ones who think they're okay are not okay. And if you think you're not okay, you might be okay. And that weird? The ones that think they're okay are not okay. And if you think you're not okay, that's the start. It might be okay. And so the gospel is coming to save those who need it the most. Those who, who think they, they're actually good. Those who have an inflated opinion of themselves. And, and that inflation actually will hinder you from coming to the cross. But this isn't mainly a passage. This isn't mainly a passage about reaching the centurion. It's, it, it's not mainly a, passion, a, a, a passage of the conversion of Cornelius. It's really a passage of the conversion of Peter. And so what we are seeing here with Peter is that God is about to shatter all of cultural norms and parameters that he was putting on his faith. And so first we saw that the gospel is for good people, and now we're going to see that the gospel is for every nation. And so at the end of chapter 9, which we didn't read, sorry, um, but Peter tells this dead woman to, to get up. He, he, he performs a resurrection. He says, Tabitha, get up. And right before that, he tells a paralytic to get up. And then right here, Peter is having a vision, probably from Jesus, saying, get up. Before, Tabitha gets up. The paralytic gets up. Peter, get up. No, thanks. <clears throat> The one person who's not listening to Jesus is Peter, of course. And he tells him three times, which that's Peter's favorite number. All right. Later, Peter says, when I heard about this, I obeyed him instantly. Did he? Did he? But look at verse 10. He says, he fell into a trance, and then he saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet descending, uh, and being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I mean, it's just like Peter to say, By no means, Lord, which sounds like an oxymoron. Like if Peter said, By no means, man. Like, by no means, friend, but by no means, Lord. Or he could have said, Yes, Lord. Like, those are your really your only two options you could have chosen. But he says, by no means, God of the universe. By no means, king. But he says that because it's Peter. But and God's saying, just eat 
the bacon. Just eat the bacon. Don't forget the bacon. Like, Peter, I'm trying to help you out here. It's delicious. But I, I, it's easy to make fun of Peter. Um, but I think for us to appreciate the magnitude of, of what's happening here, I mean, for 1,400 years, they were avoiding animals like pork, like other animals there, because God told them, do not touch them. They are unclean. And so Peter is now trying to be a good Jew here. He's trying to listen to what he knows is true. And he's hearing this vision, so let's not make fun of Peter too much. But God is telling Peter, get up and eat. I mean, it, it's kind of like this. It's like trying to, like, it's like a Baptist pastor having a vision where the sheep descends from heaven, but all of a sudden it's not a sheet, it's a dance floor. <laughs> and then you hear, just dance. <laughs> And Peter's like, no, absolutely not. I will never dance. That's in our blood as pastors. As Baptist pastors. No, no. But that, I think that, that gives us a little hint of what's going on there. But for 1,400 years, they were supposed to avoid this. God told them they were unclean. And so Peter's trying to uphold the Jewish law. And then when, later when he enters a Gentile's home, Cornelius, in verse 28, Peter tells him, says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. That God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Oh, interesting, Peter. God made that vision about food, and Peter just made it about people, Right? You see the connection that he just did right here? Peter now applies all of what God said about, about food. To, now he's saying it's all about what God has created. Peter is waking up and he's having a conversion of sorts. That the gospel is for all nations. He's starting to realize this. And even a moderately orthodox Jew would not willingly enter into a, 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 a dwelling of a Gentile. I mean, even though they may be God-fearing. They would not enter into their house. They would definitely not eat their food. And Peter's going into their home and taking their hospitality. And he's, he's connecting the food to the culture and saying, I will eat your food and I will enjoy your culture. But by allowing all food to be clean, Peter is now allowed to move into new cultures and that experiencing new food is now experiencing new cultures and opening his eyes and more scales are falling off. To accept the hospitality of someone who's unclean. He's not saying you're clean. He's accepting their culture to have fellowship with the Gentiles means they are now equals. Which was a big thing. I mean, to have years and years and years of saying that they were not. To say that the Jewish people were God's chosen people. And to now put them on par with each other is, is, is huge. Now, in Mark's Gospel, some of us have gone through this during our small groups. Uh, Peter, who we think is giving the oral account to Mark's gospel, um, makes this little editorial note. Um, in a part in uh, Mark 7, verse 18, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person outside of cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And he says in parentheses, Thus he declared all foods clean. Jesus declared that a while ago. 
And Peter is probably telling Mark, yeah, he actually said that. I didn't listen to it. I had had the vision of a sheep coming down. So he told them that all foods were declared clean at that moment. But he's now having to get this. Peter's a little slow on the uptick. And so I want us to see this very clearly here. Men and women of Mosaic, this passage right here is instrumental to the church and to our church right here. It's not just a fad that the world has become multicultural. It's not just something that we're getting on the train of what the world is doing. No, it is rooted. The multicultural, multi-everything uh, gospel is rooted right here in Scripture. We are coming from the Bible for this. We're not looking for the, to the world for our P's and Q's. We're looking at Acts 10 right here, where the gospel is going to every single nation. And to make it crystal clear, Peter says in verse 34, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. We just can't say, accept other nations, accept other cultures, just be open, just be willing, love them. That's the world's message, and though it's good, it's not enough. We have to see, we have to see that there's no partiality, that God doesn't see anyone better or worse here. To get this true message, we have to see that God shows no partiality, meaning he shouldn't even choose in me. And so for a Jew to say that, I mean, that's a, that, that's, a, that's a work of the Lord. For a Jew to say that we're not special, that's a work of the Lord. That God chose us, which is clear, they need to see that God chose them purely by grace alone. It was grace and grace alone that God said to Abraham, I'll make your offspring outnumber the stars of the heaven, and I will be their God and they my people. It was by grace alone that he chose Abraham. That's in Genesis 12. One chapter earlier, we have Genesis 11, and what happens there? You have the Tower of Babel, right? In one place, one culture, one language, this, this tower that would declare humanity's greatness. And so God separates them, and he gives them new languages, which spurs new cultures. And then in Genesis 12, one chapter later, God says, I have a plan that will bring you all back together. Not, not united around pride, but around the common knowledge of God and of salvation. I will bring you back together. He could have had that conversation with any other nation, but he chose Abraham, not because he was the best, not because he was the most obedient, but he chose Abraham by grace and grace alone. But God in his rich mercy chose Abraham. And so the multicultural church, I think, is a powerful witness to the watching world. It's a powerful witness because it's just so hard. Like, to have a multicultural church means, in essence, you have different cultures coming together. And so that your preferences are going to be attacked at times. It's hard, and it's only God that could have done this. That's why people look at it and go, only God could have done this. Only God could be doing this to bringing people together who seemingly have nothing in common. I mean, how do you know if you're a part of a multicultural church? You're uncomfortable. If we have different cultures coming together, we're going to have, so there might be some hymns that you may like, and be, some of y'all may not like hymns. There might be, might be some languages spoken you didn't understand, and there may be some languages spoken that you do. We're asking different cultures to come together, to gather around the gospel. And this is actually one of the reasons we shifted one of our values as a church from being multi-ethnic to being multicultural. Because we, we were realizing that to be, you could be multi-ethnic and monocultural. 
We, we, could have, uh, we could have an assortment of, 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 of ethnicities in here, but just have one culture represented here, and that always tends to bend. It's like a rubber band bending back to the majority culture. And so we're always trying to bend away from that. And ask, we're not asking everyone else to check their history and their heritage at the door. We're saying we want to be a multicultural church. We don't want that way of doing things here because we need your culture. We need it. We're better for it, and we are missing out as a church if we don't go for it. And so I think a multicultural church is a powerful evangelistic witness to the world, and the flip side of that is true as well. That I think a segregated church is unintentionally undermining its gospel's witness. There's a book called Divided by Faith, which is out on our table back there. A guy named Michael Emerson is a, a sociologist. Uh, and he says he finds that local churches are ten times more segregated than their neighborhoods. Twenty times more segregated than nearby public schools. And in an increasingly diverse and cynical world, the, the, we are no longer finding credible the witness that God's message of love for all people is believable when it's coming from that segregation. They put it another way. You cannot claim that the gospel has claimed you if you cannot claim your brother and your sister. You cannot claim that the gospel has claimed you if you can't claim your brother and your sister. That the gospel needs to reach you and reach your brother and your sister. That You have to be able to say, this is for all of us. We all need it. And so news of this type of gospel spreads fast. In chapter 11, news of this gospel spreads fast to the church there. Verse 1 says... Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And so Peter recounts the whole story to them. And I just love his summary here. He jumped down to verse 17. He recounts the whole story. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who was I that I could stand in God's way? I mean, ask yourself that this morning. Who am I that I'm going to stand in God's way? Will I stand in what God is trying to do? Will I stand in the way of what God's trying to do in this world? Am I standing in His way? I mean, that's a powerful, powerful, powerful question there. I mean, His ways are higher than ours. They're better, more perfect. Who am I to stand in His way? Am I limiting who God can reach? As part of our confession this morning. Am I limiting who I think God can reach? Or am I saying, man, I just don't hope they believe. <laughs> That's pretty dark. I hope they don't believe. Or maybe, maybe you're not as evil as me. Uh, maybe you're not saying, I hope they don't believe. Maybe you're saying, I, I hope they believe, but I just hope they don't join my church. That might change my church. What we're saying to them is that they are unclean. And God is saying, don't call common or unclean what I have created. So God leads the church to hurdle its prejudice so that the gospel reaches all people. Don't call anyone unclean. And in our, in our views of saying that no one is unclean, I want us to ask the question lastly, do you call yourself unclean? I think many times... It's, it's almost easy to say that, yeah, the gospel 
The gospel is for other people, but is it for you? Do you ever find yourself asking, yeah, God, God's love is good and it can reach anyone and it can reach everyone, but there's no way it's going to reach me. There's a missionary named Harvey Kahn who was doing uh, mission work in Korea. And he was saying one of the most difficult people groups that he had ministering to was a group of women prostitutes. Because they had such a low view of themselves. And they would tell him, yeah, I don't think God would ever want anything to do with us. They would say, it sounds great, but there's no way that that would actually be something that God would actually care about me. I've done too many unclean things. And so he would try and try and try and find Finally, he said, you know what, I, my attempts at trying to explain the love of Christ to them in, in, in just in, in warm and inviting ways wasn't working. He said, I'm just going to go with straight theology. And so he just started reading theology to them. I said, here's what the doctrines of, of grace teach. The doctrines of grace are this, that I believe in a God of grace, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting what you don't deserve. And they said, okay. And he said, nobody seeks God. Nobody. This is Romans. Nobody seeks God unless God is coming to them, unless God seeks them. And so he says, he, God has to initiate it from A, B, C, all the way to Z. It has to 100% be God's work. Do you want that type of God? And these women started to believe. And it's complicated for them to believe. Because then they have to get out of their situation. And so they said, meet me at such and such place, and I'm gonna, we'll get you to a safe house to be away from these camps. God was reaching people who thought the gospel would never be for them. And so in our, in our talks of saying the gospel is for all, we first need to say that the gospel is for me. That the gospel can reach me. Don't call unclean what God has cleaned, including yourself. God saved Cornelius to reach the Gentiles, to which every single person in this room, I believe, is a Gentile. Gentiles means nations, people not Jewish. And so God reached Cornelius so that he could reach you. This passage is monumental. It's, it's a, a change of trajectory in the book of Acts and, and, and the history of the church, that God is now reaching every single person outside of the Jewish nation here. That God had you in mind when he told Peter, don't call them unclean, they're my bride. And that's how God sees you, as his bride. If you believe. If you put your faith in him. If you don't, that promise of hope isn't, isn't for us. If you believe. If you believe and place your hope and faith and trust in Jesus, then you have all, all the riches of the gospel. Then you have all of it. And you, he would then tell you, you are my bride and you're spotless. You're beautiful. As his bride, you are beautiful. No matter the scars, no matter the brokenness, no matter the sin, God looks at each of us as his bride adorned for a wedding, spotless and gorgeous. 
because of your good person? Gosh, no. <laughs> we all know that. Spotless because of your cultural background? By no means. He took your spots, he took your shame, and he took your sin, and he brought it with him into the grave, and he left it there. It's no longer with you. So that when God sees you, he sees you perfect, spotless, righteous as you'll ever be. Yes, there are lingering sins that we are working through. That's the process of sanctification. But eternally, your, your status is, is taken care of. The gospel is for all. It's for good people. You need the gospel just as much as everyone else, if not more. You can't be perfect enough, but Jesus was. It's for all nations. Let's celebrate God's redemption and rescue plan to bring all those nations back together. And let's celebrate that. And it's for you. And so don't call common or unclean what God has done for you. Let me pray.